listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chip Munn, I am happy to be here. I hope you are. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else on a Friday morning, man. It's a pretty good thing. It's a pretty good thing. Have you ever watched the show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I have not. It's on FX. It's quite funny. I don't know. The first three or four seasons, I would watch it, and it came on late at night because they have bad language in it, et cetera, but it's on FX, and... The first three or four seasons, I kept waiting for the show to end because, you know, I'm thinking to myself, they can't top this. There's no way they can be any more hilarious than what they're doing. And in those first couple of seasons, there was an episode called The Gang Solves the Gas Crisis. And there was one where they were driving around. I won't explain it all, but one of the characters in the show decided that he was going to be the wild card. And he would just come in at crazy times and do just off the wall stuff. And he would yell wild card and then run out. And the last thing he did, they were driving down the road and the guy stepped on the brakes to stop the car, which was full of gasoline as per the plot. And the brakes were out and Charlie steps up with some pliers and he's like wild card and then jumps out of the van and rolls away. And I feel like if we're talking about healthcare, that's a really long windup. But I feel like if there is a wild card in the retirement scenario, it's going to be healthcare. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. I thought where you're going with the story was that somewhere deep in Florence or Brunswick County, somebody was <laughs> waiting every episode for this show to end. So I'm glad to know that it had a different direction that you were going in. But for sure, John, I was with a group of retirees this week talking about things that were concerns for them, financial, non-financial. And one of the big things, if not the biggest thing, was healthcare. The idea of it's not fun to talk about, but it is something that for most people, I think we talked in an episode previously about moving and we talked about one of the things that was important is access to healthcare. And I think that these days is something that's very much on people's minds. Yeah, you know, it's part of people living longer. And that just means that they're more likely to have some healthcare issues later on in life. And Johns Hopkins did a study a few years back, and they looked at folks 80 years or older, and they found that at that point in their lives, more than 90% of those folks had at least one chronic condition and about three out of every four people over 80 had two or more chronic conditions. And if you don't know the medical definition of a chronic condition, it's a condition that lasts a year or more and may require ongoing medical attention, pharmaceuticals. It could limit your activities of daily living, which we've talked about in many of the long-term care episodes or both. Some of the examples of this would be something like diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, kidney disease all these types of things. And what that statistic tells me is that we are living longer. And so the likelihood that you're going to have to deal with some of these things is extremely high. I mean, nine out of every 10 people 
And three out of every four either have one or two of these things. And that to me is eye-opening and mind-blowing because it means that all of us, if we have not considered what it's going to cost to keep our bodies going, it absolutely has to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And just to bring that home, it's kind of one of those things that if you're sitting at a table for four and you look around at some point and none of the other people have a chronic condition, <laughs> you have two of them. So, I mean, that's kind of the way the statistics work, right? If you're making it really simple and assuming we accept that that's an issue for some people that they're going to have to deal with, maybe we don't accept that it's us. One of the things I think, John, kind of our role as an advisor in the situation as it pertains to healthcare is really to help our clients understand their healthcare expenses. And so to really kind of get their arms around the fact that they're going to be out there, I think that it's a tragedy in a lot of financial plans. And I think that we may have discussed this before. A lot of times I've seen other plans where advisors ask somebody, well, how much money do you need to spend every month? And they know what their bills are. And if you just use that number, you end up undershooting what you're really going to spend because of things like healthcare is a big one, but healthcare routine expenses that you don't include in your monthly budget. And so helping people understand the expenses, talking about some of the different Medicare options and kind of what's available and how those work and what they cost, asking about their regular health needs. We make a living out of asking uncomfortable financial questions. And in a lot of cases, anymore, as this kind of field has evolved, that involves not necessarily getting into all the details of somebody's medical situation, but getting a general idea of what they have going on to help them estimate these expenses and what their care needs might be. And then finally, the topic that we spent a lot of time talking about, understanding the options and potential solutions for long-term care. And so as advisors, this is something that has become much more prevalent and much more of a topic than just the investment side of the equation. Right. And if you think about uncomfortable conversations and what that means, it just means that it's something that we are more likely to procrastinate about, to put it off, put off having those conversations. And sometimes it's not that, you know, maybe we do want to have those conversations, but sometimes part of the procrastination is that we don't feel like we know enough to make an educated decision in the end. And so even if you and I talking with our clients about these kinds of things, even if we don't reach a decision immediately, that's okay. The discussion of it brings more either statistics or knowledge into the conversation so that even if you don't feel like you can make an educated decision today, you will at some point be able to make one and we can help you on that journey, on that path. And so that's why we're here. I think that's one of the big reasons why our clients hire us is to help them face some of the things that they don't want to face because it's always easier to do something if you have a partner in crime, so to speak, or somebody doing it with you rather than being left to do it on your own. Yeah, or at least somebody to blame it on, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> kind of the old shaggy, it wasn't me. That's right. You know, and I think that in that, John, one of the key roles for us is really starting with and asking four basic questions. The first is, do you understand 
the medical expenses associated with the existing conditions that you have. So when you think about that, John, how do you suggest that people get their arms around that? The easiest place there, I think, to understanding your individual medical situation is to talk with your doctor. And that can be difficult as well, because some of those conversations can just feel uncomfortable or something that you don't necessarily want to talk about. Maybe you're good friends with your general physician or your primary care provider, and it's not necessarily something. I mean, you and I are both getting to that point, Chip, where, I mean, it's probably time for us to have a colonoscopy. I mean, I think about that just in my own mind, and I'm like, I, you know, I don't know that I want to, maybe I can find a different doctor that I don't know and will never see again. And then he and I can talk about it and then I'll come back to my regular doctor. But that's usually the place, the best place to start to understand either what's going on right now or to involve and get a good sense of your family medical history, because a lot of this is hereditary and to figure out what kinds of things you might anticipate facing in the future, whether it be stroke or heart attack or Alzheimer's or things that we mentioned before. But starting that conversation with a medical professional is usually the best way to go, I think, anyway. Is that where you are with that? It is. And I think that, like you said, I think evaluating and having a general idea, again, if we go back to that idea of sitting around a table with three or four other people and pretending that they're your family members, assuming that they've passed away. You know, I've lost all of my grandparents now. And so if I were sitting around the table with my grandparents, for example, I can recall the things that they had later in life. And I'm not by any means, John, as you know, a geneticist, but I can do statistics and say if three out of the four of them or if all of them had X, the chances are that that's something that I may have to deal with. So having that conversation with a doctor or a family member who may remember things differently than you, again, it's not by any means to scare yourself, but it is to be just aware of things that may, and just because your family had it doesn't mean that you do or that you will, but it certainly gives you things just to be aware of. Uh, kind of this is one of those situations where I feel like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So being mindful of that and definitely having a quality relationship with a physician that you trust that has come to understand. I switched physicians several years ago, and it turns out that my physician took care of both my dad and my granddad at some point. So I'm the third Frank <laughs> McLeod Munn, the third, and the third one that he's taken care of. So I mean, he has a very clear idea of at least the men on that side of my family. And so it is helpful. But I guess, John, the second question kind of comes down to, have you thought about when you're going to start taking Medicare? Medicare is a big part of the healthcare picture when it comes to folks at retirement. And a lot of people wait until they get to the age where they can take med. That's kind of the target age. I'm going to work until I don't have to pay for health insurance. So what are the options when it comes to when you start taking Medicare benefits? If there was a question that probably in top five of all questions I've ever asked in this line of work, the Medicare would be either number one or two. I mean, I feel like that is a question that we ask all the time. And it is because it is such a big part now of people's Budgets, because we're talking about healthcare expenses and they're typically inflating at 2x or 3x normal inflation. But the four options available 
to you when starting Medicare benefits or looking at your existing benefits and deciding what you might want to do with them that might be different than before. So first of all, when you turn 65, you've got that seven-month period. It includes the month you turn 65 plus the three months before that and the three months after that. And so that's generally that first option of time where you would have to sign up. The next, there's a general enrollment period every year, January 1st through March 31st. There's the open enrollment where you can change your options, reassess your situation, look at what you're paying for, try and figure out what you might want to do differently. That lasts usually from October 15th through December 7th. And then there's the special enrollment period, which is that eight months following when you might leave employment, leave your employer, you've ended coverage with your previous insurer, and you want to start having Medicare be the primary insurer for yourself. And so there's that special enrollment period. So it would seem like there are plenty of options when you are looking to enroll in Medicare. And that would mean that to me anyway, you have plenty of time to prepare for whatever that time period might be. Yeah. And the good news is it's really hard once you've reached the age where you could be on Medicare. It's hard to miss the annual enrollment (laughs) period because between the commercials and the flyers in the mail, there are plenty of people who want to remind you that you don't want to forget that. But there's a reason for that. And that's because there are actually penalties for late enrollment. And some of them particularly those for Part B and Part D, John, are lifetime penalties. So if you're late, it costs you forever. And so it's one of those things that kind of our suggestion is you want to enroll as soon as you're eligible. And eligible, again, kind of means different things to different people because some folks who may have a younger spouse who's still working or they're still working, you're eligible, but it's not necessarily the best decision for you at the time. But soon thereafter, you want to be mindful of that. Or when you're not covered by an insurance plan, again, of a spouse or partner. And then those penalties, John, are pretty egregious, frankly. The Part B is 10% premium increase for every year, 12-month period that you've delayed. And Part D is 1% premium increase per month. And that's forever. So these are some of those biggies. That, that's one of the things that I have found is that when the government penalizes you, they don't play. You know, it's a little <laughs> bit like some of these excise taxes where it's right. 50% of everything you didn't do. You know, those two things are a big deal and they make it important for us to pay attention. It should be something if you're either looking at retiring soon and under the age of 65 where you're going to have to have some coverage in between, you want to make sure that you make a note of when those enrollment periods are going to be. And then also if you make any big changes, because if you miss the window, it can be an expensive thing. John, one of the questions about Medicare that I get a lot though is, okay, so I need to have it. I'm going to get signed up. I get that I don't want to miss the penalties, but what does it cover? I find that Medicare is something that people don't really grasp until they study it for a pretty good bit. How does the coverage work? Generally speaking, Medicare as a basket coverage is going to cover about 60% of someone's medical costs. The things that it does not specifically cover, it does not cover dental, 
vision, hearing, or long-term care costs. If you watch the news, read the papers, whatever, and you're paying attention, I know that there are some folks in Washington, D.C. that do want to change that, and they want to include dental and vision and hearing in that. I have not heard anything out of the sources that I read or watch about adding long-term care costs to Medicare. But those first three, which would seem like a pretty significant part of ongoing healthcare coverage, especially for living longer and whatnot, dental vision and hearing are pretty important. And I mean, it's pretty certain that as you get older, you're more than likely going to need glasses or hearing aid or some kind of dental coverage. But right now, none of those things are covered. And so what you want to remember is that Part A is basically your hospital insurance. There aren't any premiums for this. There are a lot of things it does cover. And that's usually the part, if there's a surprise to the positive side, people are generally surprised with how much of a surgical procedure that part Medicare Part A will cover. And you're talking about hip replacement or knee replacement, things like that. I mean, it's pretty all-encompassing. And generally speaking, it's pretty good coverage. You also have Part B, which is your medical insurance like you and I would normally think about because we're still working. This is the insurance that would cover your doctor visits, your outpatient surgeries, or any medical equipment that you might need to serve some of these chronic issues that you might have experienced earlier in life. And so there is a monthly premium for that. It usually runs around $300 a month, which if you compare that to private insurance, obviously that's a lot less. There is a deductible that's about $200 annually, which generally speaking, most people can cover that. And then the coinsurance, it's usually 20% of the Medicare approved amount you would be responsible for paying out of pocket, which is very similar to a plan that you would see under an employer plan or something like that, where it's usually 80-20. The insurance covers 80% and you pick up the other 20 with that. There are monthly costs and some annual costs associated with that coverage. And then the other one that people are well aware of, mostly because of the infamous donut hole, is Medicare Part D, which covers your prescription drugs. Enrollment in that is voluntary, but if you don't enroll in the beginning and you choose to do it later, that's where some of those penalties that we were talking about, you were talking about earlier, if you change your mind and do it later, you're going to pay more for that coverage than you would have paid had you signed up earlier. The average cost of that is about $32 a month. If you earn more, there are going to be surcharges that make it cost more for you. And there is an annual deductible um, that you have to cover out of pocket. But for the most part, those are the three main types of Medicare coverage that you will see. There's also Medicare Part C, which is the Medicare Advantage plan, which is like an HMO or a private insurance plan. I'm not going to go into all the details of that because it varies greatly by coverage and by state. And so it's probably too detailed to get into a discussion about here today. But A, B, and D are the ones you need to remember. And hopefully that answers your question, Chip. Yeah. And you touched on something that I want to press down on a minute is that there are some surcharges for high earners. And so this is, without going too deep into tax planning, John, it's one reason that you want to be mindful of how all of your income is earned and realized in retirement is because not thoroughly planning that can actually take the same insurance that you were going to get from Medicare and actually have it cost you more. So 
another part of the planning process. One of the things, John, that I kind of get asked about are, are the gaps in coverage. And so just touching on some of those things that you were talking about, maybe that aren't covered, but you're going to have to pay for it. They include things like deductibles, just like when you're dealing with an employer plan, coinsurance, that percentage. Now, I will say one of the things that you said, John, that struck me was of the Medicare allowable amount. So if you know anybody who works in healthcare, they would tell you Medicare is pretty stingy. So they're not overpaying. They beat people up pretty good, I think, on their pricing. So the 20% of that is probably lower than maybe it would have been in other forms of coverage. You've got your coinsurance. So your portion of those things, that's for Part B has coinsurance. It also has excess charges. So things that you have to be aware of there. And finally, John, if you need emergency care abroad in all your travels, that's something that you're going to have to be aware of. You can get a supplement to help with out-of-pocket expenses for Part A and Part B. So there are a lot of options. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, John, there are something like 10 different plans that are offered by private insurance companies as far as Medicare supplements are concerned. So there are just a lot of letters, a lot of options, and really just a big puzzle to put together that is, I would say, John, fairly unique to each individual to make sure that they have the kind of coverage that they're going to need for their specific situation. Right. And, you know, all the 10 different plans, they each have a different letter, like you said, and they all have different options. And what makes it even more difficult to kind of reason with is that the Medigap coverage or Medicare supplement, as they're also called, these options vary by the state that you live in. And so if you move to a different state, you are going to have different Medicare supplement options than you had where you lived previously. So this is another item. And we did a whole show on moving and changing location and that kind of thing. So if you want more information on that, you can go back and listen to those episodes. But this is one of the items in that checklist that you just want to make sure when you're moving that you pay attention to your healthcare options and know what is going to change when you move as far as your doctors, what you pay and where that money comes from. And this also gives us an opportunity, Chip, to revisit a small item that we touched on last show, which is the Medicare supplement plans are usually what I use HP1 for, which is, again, a Raymond James partnership where our clients have a specific number that they can call, a specific website that they can visit. And they have professionals that are dedicated to our clients that will help walk them through the different options and help them learn about the different options and then hopefully make an educated decision. And it's a decision that you make, you know, once a year during that open enrollment period, but you also get the option to change it every year. And so it's not a one and done relationship with them either. It's something that you can then have somebody to talk to every year if you want to, and potentially look at the different options and figure out which one is right for you as your healthcare needs change. I'm glad you mentioned that, John, because I was going to do it as well. I've found I it, beat to be, you to it. I know, man. <laughs> well, at least you win at something. <laughs> I know, you know, right? But it's one of those things that I have found to be a very valuable resource because this stuff is complicated and it's really nice. I've done a handful in the last few weeks of joint calls with clients and some of the consultants there. And 
they are so knowledgeable and just kind of have everything dialed in and can, in fact, I've got one client that we've signed up or he's gone through the process of signing up for coverage and the client's going to be doing some traveling and the consultant is actually checking every day to see in the system when his coverage kicks in and starts. And so it's just nice to have a knowledgeable expert on your side with those kinds of things. And so if you're listening and you're trying to figure out who's going to cover those costs, how to apply any of that kind of stuff, reach out to any of our signature wealth advisors. You don't have to do it by yourself. We can not only help you probably individually with regards to how it fits in your plan, but also connect you with an outside consultant and specialist who can help you just research your options and make sure that what you thought you were going to have is actually what you got. John, any party words? I mean, we've taken roughly 20 minutes to talk about this, and I feel like we've just scratched the surface if it tells you just how much information is out there. And so, yeah, I I think any way you can enlist someone else, another professional to help you make these decisions is to me a good thing. And so that's my parting thought. Awesome. Well, John, I enjoyed it. Interesting topic. And so I look forward to seeing you again next week. Next week. There we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the Retirement Success Scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real-life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security, it's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to signaturewealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.